Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're walking through the Sermon on the Mount and we're camped on the model prayer, the disciples' prayer. Jesus said, pray in this manner. He didn't say necessarily pray these words, even though it's okay to recite those words, but just reciting those words doesn't mean anything if you don't understand what you're saying. Plus, he just said, include these items when you pray. Verse 9 says, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now notice the difference in verse 12 and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And verse 14, trespasses is used. The first part of this prayer, there are six petitions in this prayer. First, that God's name would be hallowed on the earth. The second is that his kingdom would come. Or second was that his will would be, yeah, his kingdom would come. The third is his will would be done. All of those relate to God. The next three relate to man. Give us this day our daily bread. And then today we look at forgive us our debts as we have already forgiven our debtors is how it's written. Not as we're thinking about it, as we have already forgiven our debtors. On the first day of college, the dean addressed the students, pointing out some of the rules. The female dormitory will be out of bounds for all male students, and the male dormitory to the female students. Anyone caught breaking this rule will be fined $20 the first time. Anybody caught breaking this rule the second time will be fined $60. Being caught a third time will cost you a fine of $180. Are there any questions? Young man in the back of the room said, how much is a season pass? (laughs) In a Sunday school class, ask the boys and girls, what are sins of omission? One little boy said, those are the sins you ought to have committed and haven't gotten around to yet. (laughs) One little boy prayed one night, forgive me for all the naughty things I did today, Lord, and for all those things I planned to do but didn't get done. (laughs) We need forgiveness. The greatest need of mankind is to be forgiven of his sin. It's probably... This is probably one of the hardest parts of the prayer to pray. Not the forgive us this part, but the second part of this. So I'm just going to give you a warning. If you want to amen in this sermon, you better do it on the front end. 
When we pray, forgive us our debts, immediately it brings to mind sin. And so let's begin by talking about the facts about sin. There are different words in the scripture about sin. The problem we have today in general is that a lot of people have trivialized sin. They don't think it's a big deal anymore. God's gotten old and decrepit and he's not as hateful, not hateful, he's not as judgmental or holy about sin as he used to be. But folks, I want to tell you something. God has not changed. Sin is still sin and it is a big deal to God. Regardless of how we feel or regardless of how we live or the regardless of how we've trivialized it, there are at least five words in the New Testament that relate to sin, that talk about sin. I want to share them with you. First of all is the word sin, harmatia, which means miss the mark. It's an archery term, means that your arrow falls short. It doesn't quite get to the target. Here we fail to meet the demands of the righteousness of God. We fail to live up to what God tells us to do. A second word is the word trespass. It means to slip or fall. A false step, a blunder. A deviation from the path of truth and righteousness. Here is a weakness in man when we're tempted and we slip due to our weaknesses. It's not necessarily a premeditated idea. And some of your Bibles may even translate in the model of prayer up in verse 12 and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But actually that word is used in verses 14 and 15 and a different word I'll share with you in a minute is in verse 12. And it makes a difference in how you interpret this entire passage. The third word is transgression. It means to step across a line. To step across the line to breach a known law. You see a sign that says wet paint, do not touch, and you touch it. Or you see a sign that says keep off the grass, and you walk on the grass. You have transgressed. You have stepped across the line. And we have done that with God's law. We have violated it, transgressed. The fourth word is lawlessness. This is flagrant rebellion. It's anomia. Nomos is the word law. Anomia means no law. Flagrant rebellion against God. It's open and direct violation of God's will and law. The person does not want anyone telling them what to do. And I don't care what God has to say about it. I'm going to do it anyway. And I don't care what he thinks. Probably one of the most harsh words. Lawlessness. I'm going to do it. He's belligerent about it, flagrantly violates the word of God. And then you come to the word debt right here, verse 12. Something owed because of consequences. The idea of a debt or to owe a debt is used here. It means sin is a debt which needs to be paid to God. We owe God consequences to our sin. The picture here is that our sins are like debts and they keep mounting up. And when we, he says, use the word forgive, forgive us our debts. The word forgive means to carry away, to lift up and bear away, to get rid of it. Chuck Quarles in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount writes that when the word is used in a financial context, it means to release the debtor from legal obligation to pay the debt. 
But when it's used in a moral and spiritual sense, it means to pardon or to release the consequences deserved by his actions. That means we're asking God, would you wipe away, would you completely carry away my debt of sin? Now, folks, I want to tell you, the scripture talks about sin many, many, many times. There are a lot of people that don't want to hear about sin, but the fact is we are all sinners. Romans 3.23 says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, with that in mind, let's look at the forgiveness or the facets of forgiveness. I want to mention two kinds of forgiveness here that are in this passage. I know that forgiveness, it may sound strange, but there's two facets of God's forgiveness. The first facet or the first part of it is forgiveness that removes, it takes away, it pardons. The word for forgive is used 142 times in the New Testament. It means to discharge, to set free. God has set us free. God sent a lamb. They sang just a moment ago about God could have come as a king and impressed everyone, but in order for sin to be paid, the sinless blood had to atone for our sin. Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. In him... In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or sin according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished on us. Now, this is what I, I, maybe there's another way to say it. This is judicial forgiveness, positional forgiveness. You stand before God. He's the righteous, holy judge. You are in your sin. You have no plea. You have no defense except that you turned from your sin and gave your life to Jesus Christ and Jesus stands there. And you know what God has done? When you received Christ as your savior, committed your life to him, God imputed to you, gave to you the righteousness of Jesus. So now you stand before God justified. Easy way to remember it, just as if I'd never sinned. God looks at you, your sin's been covered, it's been atoned, it's been removed. He said, I separated as far as the east is from the west, put it in the depths of the sea. All kinds of terminology that says, God removes our sin and positionally, judicially, we are clean before the Lord. Oh, you missed a great opportunity. (laughs) Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You cannot forgive yourself more than you can tell a drowning man to swim. It has to come from God. God is the only one that's holy, righteous, sinless. It has to come from him. Many years ago, during the times of the czar in Russia, a Russian soldier was so depressed because of his debts that he took out his rifle and devised a plan to take his own life. But before following through with the plan, 
He listed all of his debts on a piece of paper and he wrote at the bottom, I owe too many debts I cannot pay. And to give himself courage, he tipped up a bottle of vodka and drank most of it. And then he fell into a drunken stupor and fell asleep. When he awoke, there was the piece of paper with all his debts listed. And as he picked up the rifle, began to point it at himself, he looked back at the list of his debts one more time. And when he did, written across the bottom under his note were these words, paid in full signed the czar of Russia. Romans 8.1 says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, folks, God has forgiven you of your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. He has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. You stand before God clean, saved. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not condemned. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. And we need to trust in Christ's finished work for our salvation. It didn't say that somebody gave it to you. You didn't have to take communion. You did not have to be a part of a certain church. It's only in Christ. There is no condemnation. What part of that do people not understand today? When they don't believe in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, they are believing in something that is wrong, that's not right, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, when you repent of your sin, ask God to forgive you because of what Jesus has done, place your faith and trust in Jesus, God gives you forgiveness that removes your penalty, removes your sin. Y'all got that? But then there's a facet of forgiveness that restores. Now, whether we like it or not, sin has not disappeared from our life. And even though we hate it and its power is broken, we still sin and we still fall short of being the people we ought to be. And when we sin, we do not lose our salvation. Once you are saved, really saved, you know, I'm born again saved, not just saying it, not just declaring it. Once you've really committed your life to Christ, You are saved to the uttermost. But something else can happen. When we sin, we don't lose our salvation, but we forfeit or break the fellowship with God. All the time unforgiven sin is in our life, we fail to know the happiness that God intends for us to have. Psalm 32, one says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed, happy is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That's why we need daily cleansing. A lot of you are married. 
And if you're married, that means that when two people live in a household, you completely agree all the time, don't you? No conflicts. No conflicts at all. When you do have a conflict or you have a disagreement and you ask for forgiveness, do you have to go get married again? No, the relationship needs to be restored. When you take a bath, or you take a shower, or whatever you do in the morning, I hope you take a bath. At least, well, last night was Saturday night. We should be covered for today. <laughs> you go out and you go out barefooted and you walk in the dirt. You come in, your feet are dirty. You don't go get in the shower again. You just wash your feet. The same is true as a believer. Your sins are forgiven, but when you break fellowship with God, that's why he said in 1 John 1, 9, you keep on confessing your sin. It's present tense, which means you keep on. If I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I want to agree with God about sin and be forgiven so that I can stay in proper fellowship with him. The word confess in the New Testament means to see it as God sees it. So when I confess my sins to God, I'm saying, God, I see it as you see it. I've sinned against you. I confess it. I ask you to forgive me. And it's written in present tense. Keep on doing that daily. Some of you sinned on the way to church. Probably had an argument. Will you hurry up and come on? I've been waiting on you. And y'all have a fight coming to church and you walk in the doors and the uh, the greeters are there and you go, hey man, how are you? Good morning, isn't it? You know, (laughs) nothing happened. If there's any of you, is there any, don't raise your hand. No, I better not ask it that way. (laughs) There hadn't been a day this week that you hadn't struggled with sin somewhere in your life. Thoughts, words, deeds, actions, We need that daily cleansing. I want to restore the relationship. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So if you have sin in your life and you've not gotten right with the Lord, that may be one of the reasons you've been unhappy for so long is that you've got a hidden sin in your life. I want to tell you something, folks. We live in a day and age where grace is emphasized so much that we think sin's not that important. And you wonder why people are miserable and they don't walk in the Lord because they're harboring sin. You don't violate God's word and stay in fellowship with him. Well, I'm gonna move on. Now, Yarch, you missed your opportunity. Say amen. Now it's gonna get real quiet because Jesus moves to the forgiven that you and me who forgive. Why do you think Jesus talked about this so much? There's stories in the Bible, there are accounts in the Bible where Jesus tells us to forgive each other. Why do you think that is? Because we have such a hard time doing it. That's why. In fact, our tendency 
is to fail when it comes to that. Let me mention, when, when you don't forgive, there's some characteristic failures to forgive. What's wrong with forgiveness? Why, why do we hate it so much? Because it's unfair. It's just not fair. You don't know what they did to me. And so we have a tendency to do one of several things. One of them is to get revenge. Oh, yeah. We want revenge because forgiving somebody might let a bad person off the hook. And after all, they may do it again. And there's got to be consequences for actions. So let's make them pay. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. But always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Proverbs 24, 17, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Unforgiveness means we desire to hurt the people who have wounded us. It's like a little boy sitting on a park bench in an obvious agony. He looked like he was in pain. Another man walked up to him and said, son, what is wrong with you? He said, I'm sitting on a bumblebee. And the man said, then why don't you get up? And the boy said, because I figure I'm hurting him more than he's hurting me. <laughs> well, that's sort of the attitude we get. I'm going to hurt them more than they ever hurt me. But the healing process begins when we get up off that park bench and God, help me to forgive. You may not be doing anything, quote, to get even, but you are damaging yourself when you're thinking about all I'd like to do is to get revenge. Another failure is resentment. To hold resentment toward another is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Resentment only creates an internal sore in the soul and it causes that sore to fester and the one with the resentment suffers and the person against who the resentment is held goes on without any harm. And we can make it sound spiritual. I read of a lady who testified to the transformation in her life. She, she said, I've become religious. I, I, I'm so glad I got religion. I have an uncle I used to hate so much that I vowed I'd never go to his funeral, but now I'd be happy to go. Sounds good, doesn't it? Depends on when she wants to go. Resentment. Boy, we, we let that fester, don't we? Hebrews 12, 14 says it becomes a root of bitterness. Have you noticed how easy it is to grow weeds out here? I mean, if we could grow cotton and corn and soybeans and sunflowers and peanuts and all the way we could grow weeds. There'd be no economic issues out here at all. I, I, I'm not a gardener. I can get flowers in the ground and pray that they stay alive. But I'll tell you one thing. Weeds just hack me off. They have no respect. I can break them off. But you know what? If you don't pull them, they come back, don't they? Because of the root. That's the way resentment is. It becomes a root of bitterness. And it keeps coming back. About the time you think, oh, I've, I've cut it off at the surface. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Oh, it'll, it'll come back. Trust me. The day's going to come. You're going to see the person or something's going to remind you. Somebody else is going to do something that reminds you of what somebody did to you. And oh, it springs back up. It becomes resentment. A third, a third characteristic failure is remembrance. Some of you never forget. 
There once was a baby elephant and a baby turtle drinking from a river deep in the jungle. For no reason, the turtle reaches over and bites the elephant's tail really hard. Years later, the same elephant, now grown up, is by the same river having a drink with his giraffe buddy when the same turtle that bit him on the tail all those years ago wanders up to the river. The elephant rears back a leg and kicks the turtle as hard as he can, sending him flying way off into the jungle. And the giraffe says, why did you do that? The elephant said, when we were both babies, that turtle bit my tail for no reason. The giraffe said, wow, you must have a good memory. He said, yep, I've got turtle recall. Some of y'all got turtle recall. You can remember everything that's ever happened to you by so-and-so all the years of your life. I'm going to tell you something. You've got to let that go. You can't advance to God's best place for you when you're holding something on, holding on to something from from the past. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind me, I move on. You know why it's so easy to not forgive because it's the natural thing to do. It's not the supernatural thing to do. Then Jesus mentions commanded forgiveness to our fellow man. It's not an option. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus talks about a king who was reconciling accounts with people. He brought before him a man who owed him 10,000 talents. That's what the scripture says. Now, there are different ways to interpret this, but a talent uh, uh, was a a measure of weight. 10,000 talents in that time would be the equivalent of 190,000 years of work. Some of y'all aren't quite that old yet. This man, and basically it was symbolic of showing that this man, there is no way he's going to be able to pay this debt. None. He's bankrupt before this king. And so he asked the king to give him some time. And I'm making this short, but the king had compassion on him and forgave him the debt. Then in verse 28, it says, that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. So he went looking for a man. He went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. A hundred denarii at that time was three months salary. Not 190,000 years. To put it another way, let's use the weight measure of a talent. Uh, 10,000 talents would take 8,600 soldiers carrying a pack of 60 to 80 pounds. Lined up, they'd be five miles deep. That's, that's 10,000 talents. A hundred denarii you can put in your pocket. So do you see the contrast here? We come before God and we think of, and we can't even realize all that we've ever done toward him, but there's a debt we would never pay and we are forgiven. And then we go out and we find someone 
who owes us something we think and we won't forgive them. And the contrast is staggering. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, no one who has ever been to the cross of Jesus and has seen what Jesus did for him has the right to withhold forgiveness against anybody regardless of what they've done. You don't know what they did to me, preacher. I know I didn't. I'm not making light of it. But you don't realize everything you've done toward God. And look how he's forgiven you. You see, I should forgive because first of all, I'm a child of God and the Holy Spirit lives within me. The second reason is that Jesus set the example. When he was on the cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them to the people that were crucifying him. Another reason is I don't want to be under the chastening hand of God. Hebrews 12 says that when his children get out of line, God will chasten his children to bring them back. Listen, I've been there. It's not a fun place to be. And not only that, when I don't forgive, I'm allowing Satan to control. And if we don't forgive, a root of bitterness begins to grow inside. Some of you that have hair the color of mine are going to remember Amos and Andy. I see some smiles. I also see a lot of perplexed, huh? They were a comedy routine, Amos and Andy. Andy had a man that was picking on him. This man would just come up for no reason and hit him in the chest. He was bigger. And finally, Andy said to Amos, I'm going to get, I'm going to get rid of him. I'm going to fix him. I'm going to get him. Amos said, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to put a stick of dynamite right here in my chest, <laughs> right here in my pocket on my chest. And next time he hits me in the chest, it's going to blow his hand off. Now, there are going to be some people later going, what's the deal? Well, you think about it. He's going to blow his hand off and blow his chest out. But that's how it is when we don't forgive. Jesus said, forgive us our debts as we have already forgiven them. Did you catch the past tense? It's written in past tense. Forgive us, Lord, as we've already forgiven someone, which means that when you sin against me, I need to forgive you immediately, which means no longer to hold it to your charge. Now, I know emotions get involved, and I know hurt's there, and I'm not making light of it, but you you got to work through some of it. But I'm talking about you cannot live the rest of your life this way. One little six-year-old was overheard reciting the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and he said, and forgive us, our trash, ba- trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. I want you to think about how God has forgiven you. How, how has God forgiven? He's forgiven you graciously. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't deserve it. And there's not a person in here deserved the forgiveness of God. He gave us, he forgave us freely. You didn't have to earn it. You couldn't earn it. He freely forgave us when we repented of our sin. 
He's forgiven us deeply. No matter what you have done, think of the people in the Bible. David was an adulterer, a murderer, a liar. Paul was a blasphemer. Peter denied Jesus three times. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul spoke of adulterers and homosexuals and thieves and drunkards and liars. And he said, such were some of you, but you were washed. 1 John 1, 9 says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from how much sin? All sin. So no matter what you've done, God will forgive you. (laughs) Not only that, he's forgiven you repeatedly. Over and over again. Have you asked God to forgive you and then gone out and done the same thing again? Or am I the only one that's ever done that? Peter came to Jesus and said, how many times have I got to forgive my brother? Seven times? He was being facetious. Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. So I got to count up 490 times? That wasn't the point. The point was, if you forgive somebody, it costs you. You lift it up and bear it away, and every time you're reminded of it, you remember, you know what, I don't hold it against them anymore. You can't forget everything, because you'll be reminded from time to time, but but to forget means I don't hold it against you anymore. When, when God says, I forget your sins, you don't think God can remember everything you've done? He says, I don't hold it to your account anymore. I've set it aside. Because, folks, I want to tell you something. Jesus also mentions conditional fellowship with our Father. When he says in verse 14, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. It's not the same word as debt in verse 12. It doesn't mean that that you can't be saved. It means if you're saved and you are holding a grudge, you are not in fellowship with the Lord. And it's conditioned on you forgiving. Because if you're not forgiving and we're commanded to do so, then you are violating what God tells you to do. Preacher, I can't do this. You don't know how much I hate this person. No, you can't do it. But the Holy Spirit in you can and can give you the strength to do it. You're never closer to the grace of Jesus Christ than when you confess your sins to him. God's grace. You're never more like Jesus than when you forgive those who have sinned against you. And you will never fully enter into your freedom in Christ until you learn the freedom of forgiveness. True story. It's in Lee Strobel's book, God's Outrageous Claims. Elizabeth Morris had been sitting up late in the evening two days before Christmas in 1982 waiting for her son, Ted, to come home from his temporary job at a shopping mall. He had just completed his first semester at college and was working to get some extra money during the Christmas break. But at 10.40 p.m., Elizabeth got the telephone call that all parents fear. Mrs. Morris, this is the hospital. Your son has been in an accident. As it turned out, another young man who had been driving drunk, in fact, whose blood alcohol level was three times the legal limit, had crossed the highway center line, smashed head on into Ted's car. The drunk driver was only slightly injured, but before the night was over, 18-year-old Ted Morris was dead. 
Elizabeth and her husband, Frank, were devastated. Ted was their only child. He was well-behaved, son with a bright future, and now he was gone. The Morris's anger escalated when the 24-year-old man named Tommy was given probation for his crime. Elizabeth said that the hatred within her was like a wildfire sweeping down a dry canyon, consuming every part of her. Elizabeth Morris began replaying the videotape of that night like a horror movie over and over again. She ached for revenge. Sometimes she would fantasize about driving down the street and encountering Tommy, the man who killed her son. She would imagine hitting him with her car, pinning him up against a tree and watching him suffer in agony as she slowly crushed him to death. She spent a lot of her spare time actually tracking Tommy to see if she could catch him violating the terms of his probation so that he would be sent to prison. And over time, her bitterness and the negative attitude began to drive a wedge between her and her husband. It began to chase away her friends. It drained away her ability to laugh and enjoy life. Elizabeth described it as a cancer that was eating at her from the inside. She desperately wanted help, but it was some time before she discovered the only cure. The only cure. Elizabeth came to the realization that her heavenly father had also lost his only son. And yet when Jesus was suffering on the cross before he died as payment for Elizabeth's own wrongdoing... He looked at the merciless soldiers who were in charge of torturing him and said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. That's when Elizabeth knew it was time for her as an act of her will, as an act of her will, as a choice to offer forgiveness to the man who killed her only son. So that's what she did. And over time, her attitude began to change. Not only was she rescued from her caustic bitterness, but she and her husband were actually to build a relationship with their son's killer. In following, in fact, it was their friendship that influenced Tommy to begin following Jesus and turn his life around. And as unbelievable as it sounds, Elizabeth's husband a part-time preacher ended up baptizing Tommy. And as Tommy emerged from beneath the water, symbolizing the renewal of his life through Christ, they hugged and they sobbed. Later, he presided at Tommy's wedding. And today, the Morrises ride to church every Sunday with Tommy and his wife. And together they worship the God of the second chance. I know what it's like to hold a grudge. I could, I could spend the next hour telling you about all the grudges that I've ever held. And I want you to know to forgive the people that I have forgiven, it cost me a lot of money to forgive them. So... I honestly know what I'm talking about. A lot of you wonder sometimes, but today I know what I'm talking about. It will eat you alive. For those of you who have never received Christ, you can be forgiven 
of all sin. You walk out of this place today judicially, positionally forgiven of all your sin. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? You've got to agree with God, repent, turn from your sin, change your mind. Believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again and place your faith and trust in Jesus, receiving him as your savior and God will give you the righteousness of Jesus, put his spirit in you and your life will be clean and different. And for those of us who know Jesus, the day's coming, you're going to be offended if it hadn't already happened. You can't harbor a grudge. It's not worth it. It's like drinking poison and hoping they will die. So today, you have to say, Lord, you got to admit it. Pull out your grudge holder card, lay it in the seat. Yeah, Lord, I've been carrying this around a long time. But today, today, I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to forgive them. When you forgive somebody, it costs you. It costs you. You always pay for it. But that's what Jesus told us to do. And if Jesus told us to do it, he can give us the power to do it. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, for those who don't know Jesus, we pray that you will draw them to you for salvation and let them know how you will forgive them. And for those who in this room already know that they've been saved and yet have lost the joy of their salvation because of resentment and hatred and holding a grudge, would you give them the power to forgive? Doesn't mean we had to like it. Doesn't mean that we weren't offended. But Lord, we stop and think about 10,000 talents compared to 100 denarii. Our sin that you have forgiven does not even compare to what's happened to us by someone else. And so in order to have that sweet fellowship with you, we want to lay it down right here today. I pray that people will leave their grudge cards in the seat. If there are people that need a church home, Lord, I pray you'll bring them here to this hospital of forgiven sinners. I pray for people to be baptized, to show their faith in you. And so, Lord, we pray that people will walk out of here in victory today because they've been obedient and forgiven our debtors. I pray that you would bring people now in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. 
If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.